we can talk superheroes. <clears throat> yeah, let's let's do it. So the Flash is a narrow ISA. Has to be okay. velocity. The, ir- the irresistible force, high velocity, and then the Incredible Hulk is a wide ISA. Right. So the immovable object is a wide, and the irresistible force is a narrow. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. So we, we kind of pulled a fast one on everybody and we didn't have the wide training podcast right. come out after the narrow one. So I'm sure there's some people were salty about that, but today we'll make up for it by talking about the wide structural archetype and what that means in terms of training and superpowers and what people's, what they should do, what they shouldn't do the same right. thematical things. Yeah. Can I, can about. I, can I frame this a little bit and just let Go everybody know it. that we're going to talk about general tendencies versus you specifically, <laughs> because there are people that are at the ends of the continuum, so to speak, that, that let's say, well, I can do such and such, and and yeah, I'm sure you can, but we're we're talking about like the rest of the people, mostly, yeah. right? Okay, let's just be. Yeah, we're talking. Clear. We're we're gonna to explain it as simply as possible. We'll talk about the widest of the wides. Just like yeah, we were we're talking, talking about, about the extremes. We yeah, we're gonna compare people two by two. We're gonna go through eight billion people. We're gonna find the narrowest of narrows and the widest of wides. And we're gonna talk about the widest of wides. Yeah, let's yeah let's talk about the development of the widest of a wide, uh, and then what what that looks like structurally, and then what tendencies they tend to have. Let's start there. We've talked about the narrow, and so if you if you're not familiar with narrow archetype, then watch that video, and then come on back to this one. Um, it we we have an opposing strategy. We have an opposing structure that that demands. Um, our ability to maintain a bias towards exhalation. And so these are the people that tend to be really good at creating pressures. They have a, a wider generalized structure. So when you think about um, things that, that lift other heavy things, you know, the tall, narrow um, um, skyscraper, versus the short wide building kind of a thing. It's like we can probably stack more stuff on a wide base than we can on a very, very narrow base. And so that's kind of how we want to look at these people initially, because they're going to be better force producers, right? Because of their high pressure strategy and because of their general physical structure, you can just put more stuff on them, if you will. Um, When we're talking about heavy lifters. So, um, if we were going to give you a representation of a, of a human being, take your super heavyweight power lifter or your super heavyweight weightlifter as a, as an extreme representation of what we're talking. Okay. That's going to give you a, a visual representation of, of who we're talking about. And there's going to be a spectrum where the people will fall towards these tendencies, but that's going to give you the best representation, I think. Okay. And then, I think it's be I think it would be useful to talk about like why so we talk about development and we talk about embryology and we talk about like the structural archetypes and the bias that's going to sort of 
direct me towards what my first moves are going to be in terms of compensation or Mm -hmm. in like respiration. So it's like Mm -hmm. what structural stuff I'm given kind of gives me my starting point. And then the reaction to that starting point is going to create the inhalation strategy or create the exhalation strategy. And I I guess should we talk maybe a little bit about that? Um, So if you think about, Think about an uncontrolled expansion sideways, right? So if I was to smush you down from the top and you would expand sideways, relatively speaking, right? That's the type of structure that we're talking about. So they're, they, they, they actually have this tendency to expand sideways. At the extreme, if, if you were a water balloon and I was pushing down on the water balloon and and the, the water balloon slowly gets wider and wider and wider. And then eventually it hits a constraint and then kaplooey, right? You explode your water balloon. The way that you would protect yourself from the kaplooey kind of a thing would be to squeeze back in on yourself. And so that's basically what they're trying to do. That's why they have to maintain this bias towards an exhalation strategy, because if I continue to expand in the, the direction of the bias, I can't move, literally can't move. And so to, to maintain the ability to move through space, they have to maintain some measure of this exhalation strategy, which is, again, results in a higher pressure representation. But it steals things like turning, rotations, um, especially your external rotation. You lose a lot of external rotation that would be associated with it. You become biased more towards being able to put pressure into the ground, which would be more of an internal rotation bias. But again, this is why that they, they become better force producers under those circumstances. You look at... Uh, Again, sports is always such a good good frame of reference. American football, compare an offensive lineman to a wide receiver. You know, from a physical structural standpoint, it would be you'd be hard pressed to find a, you know, six foot four, three hundred and five pound wide receiver, but your offensive lineman would fall towards that category. Right? The wide receiver, of course, would be more of a vertical structure. So they would tend to be more towards the narrow ISA archetype, right? And uh, they're better turners, better at change of direction. Offensive linemen, not so much. But I don't want them to turn. If, you know, from a performance standpoint, I don't want somebody that could, that's easily turned um, as an offensive lineman. So it works out really, really well. Okay. So the, the narrow archetype as a more of a – inhalation expansion bias so the reason why you see the narrowing of the um, infrasternal angle is because of the inhalation bias requires a compensatory exhalation correct um they so they would they would be squeezed more vertically like their Mm -hmm. bias would be to go in that direction and so the ISA would progressively close to such a degree that they can't move either. And so they, they have to maintain the inhalation bias to a slight degree to allow them to keep moving as well. Right. And then the wides have to maintain um, the, the wides the have, have to, yeah, exhalation uh-huh. bias. So mm-hmm. then you're going to see a wide, you're going to see a tendency towards a wider infrasternal angle as an, as a way to almost help them inhale. Correct. Okay. See, they, so they, they, they use compensatory at the extremes, at the extremes, 
people will use compensatory strategies to achieve certain certain things. And then just to breathe, that's why that they are biased in such a degree. In right. Direction. And they're... it gives them superpowers to do certain things. It takes away certain things in return. Well, they're they're sort of forced. The the comp the compensatory sequence is in a lot of cases is just like a forced hand. Like it's it, it has to happen based on the being especially as you're pushed further and further towards one end of these constraints and this archetype. Right. Right. Uh, you know, display. But the, again, okay. this is why people are good at certain things and not good at others. You know, um, some people were born to be shot putters. Some people were born to be marathon runners because their physical structure determined that that's what it's going to be. Right. So as, as I you don't get to be anything you want to be when you grow up. It's like it's like you have a certain physical structure that's going to give you a range of, of possibilities. And some people's range is very, very small and some people's range is very, very broad. As I put the wide. OK, so we, we kind of talked about like the influence of respiration, which happens very early in development. And then we talked we talking about like stacking load on the system. So as soon as I drop the system into a gravity field, the tendency is going to be to it's going to widen out in response to the load of gravity experiences from gravity correct versus the, the narrow uh is actually going to expand more from front to back correct if if we were if we were looking at sort of like cross-sectional diameters because of the way that humans are generally structured that would be correct okay uh so it's 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 if I'm looking top down a wide starts to take on this shape and a narrow starts to take on more of this shape like like um, greyhounds and bulldogs. Yeah. Okay. So just take a look at your your dog breeds, right? Like you like you get a like a you get a nice healthy pit bull or a greyhound. Like like there's your two archetypes, if you will. And then when we've got our pelvic representation, we we talked about the narrows as like that counter counter mutation bias and that sort of er bias at the pelvis and then the the wides are going to be more of this ir bias <clears throat> mutation so this sort of yeah right and that yeah that um so explain how that position of the pelvis matches up with that lateral expansion well, you're so you're still going to have the like the anterior posterior compressive strategies that we always talk about. Number right. one, and so so that's going to start to uh, continue to emphasize the the lateral degree of expansion, right? Um, and so when you look at just the orientation that you were creating with the pelvis, it's like you started to as you're moving towards the IR representation, you can see that the bias is more of the um, laterally expanded. This is one of the reasons why they don't turn as well. So you think about um, every, every figure skater, you know, in competition finishes with their little spin at the end and they start with their arms out wide, which is a slow rotation, right? And then they pull their arms in and they make themselves more, more narrow as a representation and then they can spin faster. It's like, so if I take somebody that is a wide ISA, generally speaking, you think about the structural bias, they're gonna be wider side to side. It's much more difficult for them to turn. They have a much smaller space to turn in because <clears throat> to turn 
I need lots of external rotation space and, and they don't have it, number one. So they don't have the capacity to turn into a big space, plus they're wider, which makes it very, very difficult to turn quickly. So yeah. they, get a double, they get a double whammy. But again, that's okay. That's okay. We just have to understand, like, this is their tendency. And now we can, we can say, well, let's move you towards something. If we're thinking about, like, performance and things like that, it's like we're going to move you towards where this is actually beneficial, right? Right. We're going to make you a shot putter, maybe not a javelin thrower. Yeah, and it's so you know you talk we you and I have looked at I'll I'll bring up a video of the that kid that can the first kid that did like the quad axle or whatever the the move in figure skating that was supposed to be like uh -huh. impossible to do impossible. and he can just nail yeah. he can just nail them. Yeah. Uh, he is like the most narrow of narrow males I have ever seen in my entire life. He looks like yeah. a, a telephone pole, but that that allows him that that structure allows him to be like really close to the midline and then turn really well. So that makes him like his superpower. What we're talking about is a wide structure has a, has a big, like this bigger base of support. You can stack a bunch of weight on top of it and it can distribute it really well. Uh, and then it can't turn well, but that can be to an advantage of like, say a lineman in football, yeah. a rugby yeah. player, a, uh, yeah. you know, a, a shot putter. And then people, here come the track and field folks who are going to be like, well, you know, shot putting and discus is is incredibly rotational, so they have to be able to turn. It's like, well, no. If you were a watch, no. you're a watch, <laughs> you're a watch my, you're a watch my 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 cell phone try to do a spin. It's like you're going to uh, see this really flat turn on the outsides of the feet. Having having <clears throat> having thrown the hammer myself, you know, um, yeah, the the way that you actually spin is not. Like, like you're actually resisting the rotation, right? Yeah. yeah. You're, you are the hub, if you will, okay? So when you think about the hub on a wheel, right? So the hub on the wheel actually turns slower than the, than the rim, right? Yeah. So you're the hub. Like they, they spin like a hub. So they, they turn very, very slowly, if at all, right? Yeah. yeah, here's here's an experiment. So any of the folks that are going to try to tell me because I people tell me this a lot uh, that the the throw my my discus and my shot putters are actually great turners. Take take your take your high jumpers and your pole vaulters and your your javelin folk. Put them on a hill next to a shot putter. Have them just get into a log roll position and watch them roll down the hill. Yeah, you will see. You will see. Watch the, the refrigerator. You will see the narrows rolling really easily, and then you will see like what it looks like to watch a refrigerator try to flip flop itself. <laughs> flop, flop, flop. It's like yes. it's like me trying to roll my cell phone down the hill. It just kind of like flops onto its front, and then it might not go anymore. <laughs> it's like depending flop, on the slide, flop, slide, flop, slide. It's yeah, like nice depending on how the grade of the hill, it might just be one turn onto the face of their body, and then they just slide. <laughs> But yeah, that's so that's that's an indication of like these the structural superpowers that we're talking about. Here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then yeah. what that ends up looking like in terms of what spaces they can occupy versus what they can't with the narrows as a review, we were kind of talking about the, the narrower helical angles allowing for more verticality in their spaces that are uh, allowed. The, right. the space at the pelvis of counter-nutation allowing things to go down and forward so that it can you can actually get to depth in a squat versus right. a, 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 what's going to happen 
what's going to happen when a wide, wide structured individual tries to get into depth in a squat? Well, okay. So we, we got to be a, a little careful with this because like how they're going to achieve it will be uh, a little different. Um, well, let's talk would... about what spaces are actually available to them and what they will have to do to get themselves into a space that isn't. I guess would be like, right. so over, so like could, a, well, and we'll talk about a wide trying to press overhead or do pull-ups. And we'll talk about a wide trying to get into the bottom of a squat because ass to grass is important. Right. And it, if you use like strongman examples and things like that, um, you, you take a short. I want, I want the list. Sorry. I want the listeners to know that I was being sarcastic when I said ass to grass was important. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made air quotes, and then I remembered that we have people that listen on Spotify, and uh, you, you can't hear air quotes because they're going to be like, "Oh, but in episode in episode twenty six, Chris said it was important for wides to get to, to depth yeah. in a squat." But no, 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 no. All we have all we have to do is all we have to do is deconstruct the squat. So so we know we know that the top and the bottom are are going to be a much stronger ER bias. We know that the that that the, the middle propulsive phase in a squat is going to be very IR bias, and so that's where our our widest of wides will live in regards to their squatting capabilities. But see, it, we see it in performance all the time. If we compare our Olympic weightlifters to uh, uh, powerlifters, right? The the powerlifters will squat more more load in competition, and if they were if they were to access um, some of the deep and the grand there are, and again, there are powerlifters that can squat deeper than others. And, and I get it, but, but generally speaking, it's like you, you stay within a very specific range where, where number one, your structural bias gives you the greatest, greatest degree of performance, which is going to be in that middle propulsive phase. And so we look at like parallel squats and, and things like that. The box squat being a really good example of that. It's like the, the, the box, um, impedes the ability to go into the, to the deepest of deep squats for a very good reason. But it, but it, again, it also reinforces the bias of, of a wide ISA. Now, how do they get into the deeper squats? Okay, so let's think about this for a second. If I'm biased towards IR, internal rotation, then what I have to do is I have to create an ER space for me to squat into. And so there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this that go, but if I move my feet out really, really wide and I toe out really, really wide, I can actually squat deeper. And it's like, that is exactly what we're talking about here. So that is a compensatory strategy to create a space for me to access a greater degree of depth in a squat. Doesn't make it good, doesn't make it bad. It just says that's what is. And so that's what you're typically going to see, or you're gonna see some sort of structural adaptation that creates the ER. And so in some people, this will be rounding of a lower back that allows them to squat with their hips below parallel, right? And they say, well, I'm getting in deeper into the squat. Okay. But you're going to compromise when you're going to have to create, you're going to have to create that compensatory strategy in some way, shape or form. It's either going to be in the extremities to create ER, or is you going to use the spinal compensatory strategies to create ER? And then that's how yeah. you'll do that. Okay. And that's what you'll typically see. Like when people talk about butt winking, so if you have a, if you have a wide that butt winks, that's the entire pelvis moving as one piece. Ever use that? We're gonna phrase we're gonna have again. to. Yeah. So Ugh. if uh, because it's if it's I a have, bad descript it's a bad descriptor it's a bad descriptor it's it's just one of those okay. things that misguide it misguides people as to well, what's going you on. You said a bunch of things that I think people aren't going to understand. So I'm going to try to tell them in a oh, way that they might understand. You're trans I, okay, I'm sorry. You're trans Yeah, I'm trying to translate, Bill. <laughs> I'm trying to translate for Bill. Uh, so I think 
we you you glossed over a couple things that might be good to revisit in terms of like top of the squad is an ER bias. Uh-huh. So you have your your late ER, correct? It's a late it's a late ER bias at the top. It's an early ER so bias. So that me- requires a certain level of ER that I might not even really have as a wide. Correct. So correct. you to understand to understand what I'm saying even further, it's like a wide setting up in the top of a squat might not even really be there to start. So they might be correct. starting their squat from a compensatory position. They might need to if they're Absolutely. very very wide. Absolutely. Um, and then going through that, so the ER bias and then having to IR to get through the middle sticking point, which is why a lot of narrows get buried in squats because they can't uh-huh. create the shape to get through that middle of the squat. And then I have Correct. to re-ER into an uh-huh. earlier ER position to get to depth. So what Bill's yeah. saying is that if I want to try to take a, sh- a pelvis that looks like this, I can I can ER the extremities to try to force a shape like a compensatory shape to get to depth or to even start to put the bar on my back and start in the ER position. I might need to go super wide and it might that might be the only comfortable way for me to squat with a weight. And then as I get through, you know, the middle point, I'm not going to have as much of an issue. But once I get to the bottom, I either have that ER position or if I'm talking about a butt wink of a pelvis that's really narrow and stuck. And that that sacrum is forward and, and counter nutated. The only way I'm going to be able to create the space is by lumbar flexion, taking the whole pelvis and just jamming it underneath me to create the space above. So it's like when this drives us crazy, when people talk about like seeing a, a sacrum on the table and saying, oh, they're counter nutated and they're a wide person. It's like probably impossible. What you're seeing is a ER lumbar spine which is dragging the whole pelvis making the sacrum look counter nutated so you you you're palpating a fullness of a sacrum into your hand at the base of the sacrum and you're misconstruing that as a counter nutated sacral position when what you're really seeing is just an er roundness through the uh lordosis if you want to call it that through the the lumbar spine well, that's what they're going to call it. <laughs> I know. I know. What I think <laughs> I might have jumped a little too far into territory that people didn't understand what I was saying, but hopefully that helps bridge the gap between what Bill was sort of running through because he thinks everyone knows anytime, what he's talking about. <laughs> any, any, anytime, anytime somebody <laughs> occupies a space that requires more external rotation, they're either going to do it with relative movement or they're going to use a compensatory strategy. If, I, if my bias takes away the ER relative motion, which is what a wide helical archetype would, would be, I have to come up with a strategy that allows the ER to be demonstrated. So powerlifting is such a great representation of this. It really is because you see, like, especially the, the, the really big, strong guys um, when, when they, like, they're setting up for their, their squat, like, and I always see this, like the guys that are using the monolift, um, like they'll even brace their feet against the inside of the, of the, the monolift itself. That, that's a really wide stance or they're pulling in a sumo position because that's the space that they, that they need to actually get into the starting positions or into the bottom position of the squat because their, their biases are so strong in one direction but it's why they get to lift all the heavy weights. Like they're, they're just made to do that. But, but they've, they've, they've slowly um, learned 
how to occupy these spaces. It, it, like you, you'll see it in a bench press. Like, it's like why why do they why do they use certain certain width grips? Why do they use a certain uh, humeral position in the descent of the bench press? It's because they're trying to occupy a space that allows them to move far enough. Put on a bench press shirt, and that space is taken away. That's why some guys can't bring a bar to their chest in a bench press shirt. It's not that the shirt's lifting lifting the weight; it's just preventing them from actually creating the space that they need to to lower the bar. Okay. So, um, like I said, if, if you understand those representations, then you understand what we're talking about from a bias standpoint. Yeah. And I think also it'd be good to, so we talked about, I don't know if we said this yet, but I will say it now, the, the narrow structural like strategy to catch the guts is that down and forwards and then back up the when when i have the guts go down into a, a wide pelvis it's actually going to go down and back down and more more towards the back so what what so the the narrow the wide pelvis cannot go straight up and down necessarily it hits a point where it has to go things have to go backwards and they they allows them to, it makes their movement hingier instead of squattier is so what i'm trying it, to get at yeah, that would be the, that, the, the, yeah, the common terminology would be that, that they're going to be better hinders than they are, than they are squatters. Right. And that's kind of what I was trying to get at. And I know you're like, but, you're like gritting your teeth waiting to correct me, but I'm trying to <laughs> explain it in a way yeah, that shows like, the opposition yeah, and the comparative the visual, nature. The visual, the visual representation is not the best description of what is actually happening, but I get it. Like, I understand. So what? I understand why so, people would say that. What the position of the wide pelvis allows them to be better hingers. Why? Let's let's do that then. Uh, so when when you think about when you think about the IR bias, there's there's yeah. two positions there's two positions that have the strongest IR representation, and so that would be a a straight up zero degree line and a horizontal ninety degree line. Those are the like those are the maximum positions for internal rotation anything above or below um, inside of those that inside of that 90 degree angle is moving you towards more er and less ir so so those two representations are the strongest therefore that's why if i'm biased towards ir that's why i would be better at activities that that create that shape so when people move into this this what what, what appears to be this 90 degree position of a bend at the hip that's that's where that's where your your um, your structural bias gives you the greatest degree of success. So um, anything where you pull something off the floor will generally start in that position. Um, anything that moves into that space, um, that'll be your strongest position. Um, so the what about the nutated bias creating more space in posterior lower? Uh, correct. So, so, so again, so we're now we're talking about the, the, the grab your pelvis there real quick. Boss. <clears throat> yeah. And just show it from the side, show it from the side. It's easier to see it from the side. So <clears throat> exaggerate the nutation of the, of the sacrum. Um, your hand is in the way. There you go. So, so now kick, kick that apex back like to the extreme, just for the sake of argument. Thank you. Perfect. So, so when we look at, at that, 
that pelvis shape, there has to be an eccentric orientation of the musculature that, that runs from the, from the femur to the apex of the sacrum. Like that, that has to happen. That's what creates, that's what allows that shape to, to exist. And so that would be the, the most biased representation of IR, which would be the nutated sacrum and the, the IR. And you, and everyone can see how, what I was saying earlier could make sense from a logical standpoint of there being more space available posteriorly for me to move into, but Bill does not want me to say that they can move backwards. <laughs> they, they don't move backwards. Well, it's so, relative, okay. It's I, a relative, so, it's a relative forward to a stop. It is a stop. So we, and then everything else is moving forward relative to that's what's yeah. happening. Okay. But okay. the, the way that the, the sacrum is shaped, like the little slide, Stuff comes down and then either can kind of spill forward or stuff comes down and spills kind of straight down and back. Okay, but it's a forward <laughs> movement of the base of the sacrum. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. But the space the spaces of so when we're talking about when we're talking about potential to move, we're talking about available ER space, we're talking about available spaces structurally. Yeah. The spaces that are available in that wide pelvis allow for that shifting of into that hinge position better than you would see because a, a narrow has more of like this. So that space is closed. Yes. Much, much more. So this space yes. here specifically. Yes. So that means that when I want, if I want that narrow pelvis to get into an hinge position, it can't, it can bend itself into that position through the same yes. similar compensatory strategies that we were talking about earlier, but I can't actually acquire that position because of the structural bias. But I could, if I was very wide. Yes. Okay. So we have an irresistible. So for the two people that are still listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk superheroes. <clears throat> yeah, let's, let's do it. So the flash is a narrow ISA. Has to be. Okay. Velocity. The, ir the irresistible force, high velocity, and then the Incredible Hulk is a wide ISA. Right? So the immovable object is a wide, and the irresistible force is a narrow. So there you go. Wait, now, when we, when we, I think about see, range of motion. works right into this. I think, when <laughs> I, I think about Spider-Man, he's like a very, very narrow spin like can can twist and turn can uh, acrobatics getting into weird positions like just as yeah. just to his land like his superhero landing position it would be impossible for a wide to achieve correct todd Mc, uh, the todd mcfarland spider-man is where I, is where I, my head goes yeah sure. well and even like the even the mask even his face is just like whoosh, very totally narrow and then totally you know you got your your hulk there you go. See, we got the comic book guys back into the show. This is awesome. Yeah. It, what gets really confusing is when the anatomical drawings, you know, the anatomically driven cartoon comic book drawing narrows with like wide features. It just doesn't. That happens with Batman a lot. Yeah, they, they, they kind of mix them up a little bit, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Like the like the, the Dark Knight Returns, definitely a wide ISA. The, the the big wide bat yeah if you i mean if you're if your batman is one who's going to be doing a lot of traversing rooftops and rip, like repelling and grappling hook then he's not he's going to be a little narrower he's going to have to be yeah there let me go. shoot my let me shoot my grappling hook and climb this wall 
Well, I'll say now you're getting into the <laughs> overhead stuff. You're getting into yeah. the overhead stuff. And so, so yeah, when you think about, about like, so your proxy measure for your wide and narrow is going to be your, your, your ISA. We can use that as a proxy measure for the helical angle. And so this is why your, your overhead pressors tend to be a little bit more um, on towards the, the narrower bias. It doesn't mean that they're, they're not wide, but they're just going to be more towards a narrower bias, which allows them to reach overhead a little bit more effectively. Whereas, you know, your wide ISA powerlifter types are going to, if they want to try to press above their head, they're going to be leaning back to create a, a space. They have basically to, they have to, to incline, they have to incline bench press the they, log. They, they can't, they, they can't will, actually yes. vertically press anything. Yes. They will have that tendency for sure. Yeah. So that uh, a single arm kettlebell press is going to look like a lean away push bent press yeah. almost looking thing a, a any sort of bilateral press is going to have to be very wide or lean it's going back. to look or lean back and it's going yeah. to look like i'm leaning i'm doing like a, a bat like a inclined bench press so yeah. i'm really they've pressing the weight bend. here but i'm to bend the spine into my back greater, greater degrees get... of, I, of ir to, to maintain the press yeah. and then their elbows move away from midline they arch back so they can orient the sockets into er so they actually have a space to press into Absolutely. So, and yeah, people are going to come after us for this, but let's talk about why like a really wide individual, like widest of wides should probably avoid things like yoga as much as possible, just because they just don't have the spaces available. And yoga is typically going to be a lot of up and down occupation of space. So you're well, down if you dogs, you're you toe at touches. The... Yeah, if you look at the people that are biased towards a a burning desire to execute and or teach yoga, like like if they're very very good at doing yoga and they're really really good instructors, they will have a a bias towards the the narrow representation because most of the extremes of what we would consider flexibility are are performed in the ER space. And so you're because, again, we're taking away your space as a, as a wide ISA bias. They're not going to be as good. Right. Um, they're, they're they're flatter front to back. They're, they're wider side to side. It's like this is one of the reasons why we, we will tend to um, de-emphasize if, if we're if we're trying to alter um structure to recapture relative motions, we would de-emphasize supine activities and prone activities initially because the the sideline <clears throat> activities actually promote the AP expansion that we're trying to offset to whatever degree that we can in the wide ISAs, right? But there's not a lot of like, again, go back to your yoga example. It's like, there's just not a lot of, of representations that emphasize that that influence to a sufficient degree. It's not that there's not activities in yoga that would emphasize it. It's just that when you look at the, the activities, especially the symmetrical activities that are, that are ground-based, it's just a really tough place for them to be. So it always makes me a little sick to my stomach when, when sports teams bring in, you know, flexibility experts that have that foundation and they try to force these, these larger human beings into these positions. Well, yeah, because a, no, a lot tremendous of, amount of a lot of compensatory strategies. Yeah, and a lot of the you know, a lot of like base positions in yoga that require balance 
are very close to the midline and underneath the base of support that isn't really the strength of a so you see it you'll see a lot of like videos of the the things that you end up seeing videos of when like a football player is doing yoga is like the really wide warrior poses because <laughs> it's like yeah. those are the only things that look good for them right well they can use their ER compensatory strategy to, to access yeah, those and they spaces. can they can yeah. just get really wide into the the space that they might actually be able to acquire the motion from. Yeah. Well, and then and then they'll get they'll get knocked for for having poor balance when they go into a single leg stance. When the reality is, it's just it's just very difficult. It, it again because of the of the wide structure, it's just very difficult to to shift their entire um, mass over that that singular point of contact. It's like they do much better with with two po two points of contact on the ground. Right. So we've talked about the strengths of a wide being like you can stack a lot of load on the system because it distributes it in a yep. wide way. Uh, yeah. We talked about the spaces available that allow them to be hingier than squattier. And then we also talked about on the other side why they can't squat as well. Um, we talked about their... We, we didn't really, we sort of touched on like their strength in like horizontal pushing and pulling movements as like we, we had mentioned bench press. We can go and go back to that. And we had talked about how they're going to be disadvantaged in trying to reach overhead to do like a pull up or a, an overhead press just because of the spaces available will actually require them to sort of have to lean back or in a single arm sense, completely side bend to put themselves right. closer to their helical angle. So then uh, we, we, so yeah, we could talk about the compressive nature of their structure allows them to push more weight to create the IR needed to push things in a horizontal way. I don't know okay. if we need to talk any more specifically about that. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to, to bring up about that. Um, they, they, there will be a, there'll be a velocity compromise in, re, in, in the opposing. So the higher my force producing capabilities, Overall, um, it, the lower my velocity capabilities overall. And again, we're talking about extremes. It's, it's not that, that, that people with a wide ISA can't be fast, but if you were going to pick yeah. somebody to be the fastest guy in the world, um, yeah. you'd be hard pressed to find the widest of wide ISAs doing that. I think that's maybe how we if, look we, at this. if we can also explain speed, from a velocity perspective versus like acceleration. Cause there's go, I can already hear the people going like, you know, some of my fastest guys in my 10 yard sprints are wide. Well, it's like, yeah, okay. but they're but not, that's not fast. Not that's an acceleration. Yeah. And we're talking about velocity from velocity is something that's displayed in external rotation. It's, it's the most like, it's the closest to flow that you get in athletics. It's flow. It's the end of a hundred meter a hundred meter sprint where you are trying to slow down less than everyone else. So you're trying to preserve forward momentum. You're, you're bouncing along the ground, like one of those lizards that runs on water. Like you're, you're just, you're <laughs> keeping that, you're keeping your center of gravity up and allowing it to move forward with the least resistance. Like right. that's velocity. It's like this, it's the maximum display of speed. It's not the acceleration, the four, three acceleration steps you got to start that process. Right. And, and, and key word display, it's the display of velocity, right? We, we, we have to have a force. <clears throat> 
but there's a time constraint as to how long that force can be applied. And so that's the, that's the comparison between the, the first 10 in a sprint, which is acceleration, longer ground contact times, more time to apply force. So, you know, if you had a 100 meter sprinter <clears throat> and an Olympic weightlifter side by side and potentially, I'm just saying potentially, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying potentially you could have an Olympic weightlifter that is actually faster in the first 10, but he couldn't win the 100 because there's no way that he could, because he needs, he, he still needs more time to apply, apply force to the ground, but he might be a really good accelerator, right? But top speed would be compromised because he can't apply that force in a short enough period of time to make it useful to, to be a sprinter. Otherwise, all the sprinters would ever have to do would be doing Olympic lifts and things like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You see, you see on, you see like from a field courts, uh, field and court perspective, you, you see a lot of guys that look like they have really good first step quickness and those are right. going to be your wider guys, your wider, your wider females <clears throat> as well there. Cause they can create, they have a large center, like a large base of support and they have this ability to acquire IR at a quicker rate or even just better, in an absolute sense so that they can, mm -hmm. they can almost instantaneously just get up to get up to speed versus a, a narrower individual is going to have a center of gravity. that's a little higher up, very small in terms of their base of support and the place that they can put the force into the ground. They might over the course of 20 meters be able to run faster than the wide person. But if it's yeah. up to like trying to score a goal on somebody, the first two steps, they might be past the, the narrow defender. Mm -hmm. because of yeah. that, because of just the structural bias. Yeah. So um, can we, can we talk about feet for a second? Yes. Okay. So um, the whole concept of the, of a low arch on a foot in a high performance athlete. It's like one of the reasons why you see such weird looking feet on people that appear to be fast and explosive in certain environments like basketball or soccer is because it saves them time to peak force application. So you brought up a really important point, high center of gravity versus a lower center of gravity. If I need to apply force into the ground very, very quickly, it behooves me to be closer to the ground because there's a time constraint to get my center of gravity to push down into the ground. And so if I'm biased towards a lower position, in any way, shape or form, it's going to give me an advantage in how long it takes me to apply force in the ground. So your narrow assays with a lower arch actually have less time that or they, they don't have, they don't take as much time to push into the ground, which is why you'll see like really, really good basketball players with really good vertical jumps or, or some, some sort of um, speed, uh, you know, representation, like they're really quick or however they want to be described. They tend to have these lower, lower arched feet. Okay, so the rule is the rule is for for time to force production is a lower center of gravity. However, you want to do that. Sometimes it's detrimental. It can come back to bite you um, because it might be against your archetype to to such a degree that it creates a problem. But generally speaking, because I do have a lower center of gravity, I, I doesn't take me as long to apply the IR into the ground. So that again, that's what first step quickness is is actually being able to bring the center of gravity down quicker than someone else. 
Yeah, it's like between these two athletes, who's going to have the better first step quickness? The answer is going to be the one that's closer to max P. Just that at a, can rep, get there at a faster, starting point. That can get there faster. Some people can get there very quickly. Some people need the 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 bias of of structure. Some people need an adaptation, right? The, the, again, the rule is, it's like, how quickly can I apply it? And then you have to say, well, what is this person? And then that's right. why you start to see the, the differential. But but your your point about center of gravity is is underappreciated in regards to performance, because we this is one of those things that 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 we can manipulate with training to to a degree, like with it with within their constraints. We just have to recognize um, where someone would be in that space and then we can take advantage of it. Yeah, and it's, you know, teaching teaching a a narrow to change levels and get wider in order to acquire positions that they would normally have to just kind of bend and flop and fall, you know, trying to correct over pronation as could be very harmful for an athlete, a high performing athlete, because they might actually need that. That's like, there's like a functionality to their over pronation. Like think about why this is happening and why it might be providing them with a superpower that's necessary for them. It's, it's just not, it's becoming the trade-off manager too, right? It's like, does this over pronation, does this rob too much from them in terms of adaptability? Am I getting, am I starting to get like a medial ankle thing? Am I starting to get an anterior ankle thing? Am I starting to get a medial knee thing? Because I've just been, I, I get that. Like, you know, we had talked about this off the podcast about like the navicular sort of dropping in. Like is the whole foot and the mid the mid and uh, rear foot getting dragged so hard into it that I'm getting like a really bad bony change? Is that causing like a really bad loss in relative motion upstream of the foot? Because then I put myself at risk or all of these different things that we've talked about, like a medial knee strain or like even a, a medial knee strain that progresses into maybe a lateral uh, potential for a lateral knee strain. Mm-hmm. And those yeah. are in I mean, you know, I- other episodes. Yeah, I, th- I think that I was going to say, we, we probably don't want to get too deep into that discussion at this point. Right. Well, the knee, the knee episodes, we talk about that a lot. So I was just referring okay. to those. Oh, well, there you go. It's like we can refer people back to the the knee discussions. How about that? Yeah, the Keep other 25 episodes that we've had. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, the uh, I think that's good. I think... It, that kind of opens up some topics for later, but we'll probably forget as we do what we even talked about. Cause I'm just thinking about like, you know, the, the foot foot strike and shapes of the body that you see in sprinters and should their heel hit the ground? Should their heel not hit the ground? It's like, it depends. It's like maybe their heel not hitting the ground is, is important so that they can stay in that later, that middle to late representation that gives them the ability to carry that velocity. Uh, but yeah, all yeah, of they, that they, and more. There's, in there's the a lot of, there's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of, a lot of assumptions when you look at things from a comparative standpoint where people say, well, this is not an optimal foot type. This is not an optimal foot position. And yet you see this high performance, like the, the, the question you should be asking is how are they doing something? And then the why exposes itself. Right. And then you start to say, oh, that's not really the rule. Like the rule is not this, this, you know, perfect representation of relative motions when we're talking about performance. And now we're back to the health and performance continuum. 